listening to IASA's additional coverage podcast, episode number 15. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me for today's additional coverage, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Gleb Sapersky. Thank you very much for that warm welcome, Tim. Really delighted to be on the podcast. Dr. Gleb is the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts. He's a noted author and no stranger to IASA. He very recently had articles published in both Fast Company and Forbes magazines, just in September, in fact, that I want to explore today. But first, I would like to recognize the support that we receive from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. For example, if you weren't aware, IASA has a library of accounting textbooks that can help new insurance industry accountants better prepare for their roles. Find out more at IASA.org. Well, turning to today's topic, equity at work has become an area of focus in the hybrid and remote working environments. Uh, Dr. Gleb, if I can call you Dr. Gleb. Of course. Uh, when we talk about diversity and equity and inclusion at work, let's start there. What is it that we really mean or what are we really striving to achieve? Well, let's talk about hybrid and remote environments and diversity and inclusion as the focus since you brought up the hybrid and remote work. This is definitely the intersection of hybrid and remote work and diversity, equity, inclusion is a very hot topic. So, for example, Jamie Dimon recently said that, hey, we need to get back to the office in order to have more diversity in the office and inclusion in the office. So that's an example of someone making a claim about diversity and inclusion and the question of hybrid and remote work. But if we actually look at hybrid and remote work and diversity, we'll see very clearly that people from underrepresented groups, whether they're insurance or outside of insurance, much prefer to spend more time working remotely. I'll give you an example. There was a study done by a group called Future Forms. It's a large group that studies the future of work. And they researched who wants to go back to the office among knowledge workers, which includes insurance professionals. And what they found was that white knowledge workers want to work in the office full-time at the rate of about 21%. So 21% of white knowledge workers want to work in the office full-time. What about black knowledge workers? Well, they found that black knowledge workers want to work in the office full-time at the rate of only 3%. So only 3%. That's a magnitude. That's uh, you know seven times less in terms of the black knowledge workers. And why? Yeah, it's, it's huge, right? Huge magnitude difference. And then when we get in depth, so when we do research on these black knowledge workers, why we have, you know, groups, interviews, focus groups, I did some focus groups. I helped clients transition to figure out hybrid and remote work, insurance companies, other companies, figure out hybrid and remote work for their future. And I talked to the, their employees and we do, we find the same sort of results on internal company surveys. And what we find, frankly, is that African-Americans tell us that they still experience microaggressions and harassment in the office, that, you know, some people want to touch African-American women's hair and things like this. You'll see, you'll hear casual jokes and kind of snide remarks and sideways glances in the office. So it's no wonder that people from underrepresented groups like African-Americans 
have a much stronger preference for working more time remotely or even full-time remotely compared to white mainstream groups. So that's kind of a really clear example of where Jamie Dimon is absolutely wrong about what is going to serve diversity well. And we can see this. I'm not you know, simply saying this is not simply surveys. Meta, so which used to be Facebook, came out with a report recently about its diversity and inclusion. So it's 2022 report. And the context for the report is that in 2019, they had, they set out, so before the pandemic, they set out a five-year plan for their diversity and inclusion initiatives. So five-year plan. They wanted to double the amount of Hispanics and African-Americans who work at Meta in the US and women who work at Meta around the globe. And what they found was that, so Meta is one of the companies that does allow full-time remote work. And what they found this year, so three years into the plan, is that they already achieved the plan. They achieved the plan two years early. Now, if you, you know, insurance companies, you know that uh, if you're at a big insurance company, you know that these sorts of diverse inclusion plans are usually not met. You know, the five-year plans, they're usually not achieved. You know, they maybe achieve 80% at the five-year mark, but Meta already achieved over 100% at the three-year mark, so two years early. And specifically, the, their diversity inclusion folks said that it's because we allow remote work. And they found that African-Americans, Hispanics, women apply for remote work at much higher rates than they apply for in-office positions because they have much stronger preference for remote work. So remote work, hybrid work, where hybrid work meaning you know, one to two days a week in the office, really strongly facilitates this the ability of diversity remote worker of uh, underrepresented groups to work at your company and so increases diversity and we see the same thing in insurance companies so insurance companies that allow more flexibility like nationwide insurance for example one of my clients they retain and recruit diverse candidates from underrepresented groups at a much higher rate than insurance companies that don't allow remote work, that are trying to force their employees to go back to the office like AIG. So that's a really interesting difference about that intersection that you brought up there. It is. And oh man, there's so many things that you mentioned that I want to touch on. I guess the, the idea of remote or hybrid working allows persons of color to feel a little more, mm-hmm. a little bit more safe. Yes. You know, save instances of Zoom bombing or that sort of thing like that. And obviously you have a very different viewpoint than say uh, JP Morgan and BlackRock who mm-hmm. are, who are out there holding themselves out to say, Hey, come back to the office so we can create more diversity. And I get what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. The Harvard Business Review, I was reading an article and they talk about code switching mm-hmm. as pertains to speech. Can can you talk about what code switching is? Sure. Code switching is one of the reasons that it's a secondary reason why African-Americans, Hispanics are reluctant to go back to the office at a higher rate than white uh, Americans. Code switching is when people who are from underrepresented groups have to change the way they behave and the way they interact, the way they talk to fit the white mainstream culture of the office. Now, when you think about the office, at least if you're white, you don't think of it as a white culture. You think of it, this is the norm. This is how we're supposed to behave, right? This is the professional environment. But the reality from the perspective of 
African-Americans and Hispanics and other groups is that it's a white culture. That's not the way that they're taught to behave. That's not the way that the conversations happen in their homes. So they have to switch the way that they talk, the way that they are interact, what they consider to be the etiquette, the norms to fit white mainstream office culture. And that is simply because that's the way it's always been for the last exactly. umpteen zillion years since exactly. the earth was cooling. Yeah, exactly. And so what happens is that it they have to do much less switching, code switching, when they only interact on text or on voice or on video conference. There's, I mean, they don't have meetings all the time, right? Whereas in the office, they have to be always on. They always have to code switch because they can always be interrupted. They always have to have that mental burden. But if they have, you know, maybe two meetings, three meetings a day, they only have to be on for that period of time. So that's much less of a burden. Now, I'm not saying remote work is ideal. We can go into some of the problems with diversity inclusion and remote work. So for example, there are some challenges in terms of harassment and bullying by white people of people from Hispanic and African-American backgrounds. Women also have an extra burden because men tend to, on average, interrupt women much more than oh, they should be, than much more than men interrupt men. So that's another issue. And there are specific techniques that I help my clients figure out how to do that to address these problems. So there are problems, but the problems are much better than in person, at least you know, for women. You're not going to have physical sexual harassment in that environment, right? When they're working right. from home. So there's definitely overall, despite some problems, which we need to talk about and address, that it's much better for people from underrepresented groups to spend more of their time working remotely. The more you really take a moment to look at the makeup of the office and the office dynamic and the office culture, I think the more you find that to be very true, um, not just persons of color, but uh, females as well. There's so much opportunity for old white guys like me <laughs> to uh, to exercise some sort of uh, strange influence that really doesn't belong in the workspace at all. Yeah. Do you find there to be a significant parity between different organizations, uh, diversity and inclusive goals? Do you think they're pretty much the same? In terms of diversity inclusion, no. I find that different organizations emphasize different things. So I mentioned that Meta emphasized the goal of, in its U.S. operations, of doubling the number of African Americans and Hispanics who worked there, and in its global operations, to double the amount of women. And they find those sorts of disparities at other companies that I work with. They have different goals. And it depends on what areas they have a weakness in and what areas they want to achieve, what their customer base is. So often they want to represent their customer base more among their employees. So it, it really varies on the kinds of weaknesses they do. You know, some companies are really good at gender, but not very good at ethnicity, race, and so on. Some, some companies are the opposite. Some companies, for example, I mean, there are a number of companies that completely don't pay attention to neurodiversity. So this is definitely an issue that, I mean, and this is an important issue because if you think about remote work, so talking about remote work, it's much better for most types of people who are neurodiverse. So for example, people who are autistic, they might be very, very skilled at textual communication, but they're not very good at that social interaction, at those synchronous interactions. They might be overwhelmed. They might not know the social codes, the etiquettes, the norms, but they are very good if all they have to do is 
asynchronous communication or text communication on Slack or Microsoft Teams, meaning the messages without the meetings. So remote work gives much more flexibility for people who are neurodiverse to participate economically. And of course, to get their productivity up, that benefits everyone if they can participate as opposed to just be a burden. The same thing for people with various disabilities, that it's a lot of, it's a high burden for people with physical disabilities, many physical disabilities, to come to the office, people in wheelchairs, obviously, and other with disabilities, even people who are able to move normally, but let's say they're disfigured in some way. They get a lot of side glances from their colleagues and it an, creates an uncomfortable environment for them. They much prefer to work from home if they have various shapes of their face or whatever wounds, something that makes them appear unusual or weird. So that, so people with disabilities of all sorts, on average, prefer to work from home much more than people who don't have disabilities. So it's something that companies can do to better utilize their staff's strengths. And I can, I've got personal experience with the whole idea of uh, someone in a wheelchair not being able to get into offices as easily as they ought to be able to, or, you know, having, even having long commutes, if you have certain disabilities, yeah. uh, can cause issues as well. I mean, I feel like we're just starting to really scratch the surface of getting true equity and diversity in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I agree with you. I feel like the hybrid and remote situation is making that easier and, and that is shining proof of that. Absolutely. Do you talk about um, these and address more of these situations in your, uh, so you've got a book called Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, a mm-hmm. manual on benchmarking to best practices for competitive advantage. What else do you cover in your book? So, yeah, so, that, uh, so I talk about these topics. Well, let me talk about some things. I wanted to mention some things that you want to do to address the ways that there are some problems for people from underrepresented groups, still even hybrid remote work. One of the biggest challenges that you get is that you have a lack of sponsorship and mentorship. So, and that's also in the office, you get that, but it's especially in hybrid remote work because if you are out of sight, the tendency, the intuitive tendency for mainstream culture is to be out of mind. So what you really need to do, and I talk about the technique for doing this in the book, is to create mentorship programs for people from underrepresented groups. If you want to make sure that they, you don't only hire them, but you retain them and you promote them to higher level positions, managerial roles. So what you want to do is set up a mentorship program with one person who is from the white mainstream culture and one person who is from their own background. So one of their identity categories that they are underrepresented in. And then they get that mentorship and they get the contact networks, both from mainstream contact networks within the company, but also from contact networks within the underrepresented groups. So the mentor from the underrepresented groups can provide advice for how to cope with the mainstream culture, how to help them out with things that they can viscerally share in their own experience, while the person from the white mainstream culture can provide the power and access to the real power players in the company and help that person learn the, get the context and the relationships that they need to move up. So that's mentoring. And I think that's really important to do, very valuable. It really is. And I've said this in previous podcasts, it really is a paradigm shift. And you have to create new ways to create a new culture where you do have opportunities for mentorship and things that, you know, if you're physically in the office together, they, they come naturally because you're there. But when you have these situations where 
you may may not even have cameras on your computers where you can see one another, but you still have to use vocal inflection and style to really nurture and uh, mentor someone along the way there. Absolutely right. So another thing I talk about, so I mentioned proximity bias. That is the tendency of when you feel oh, close yeah. to, yeah, you feel close to people who are close to you, who are in the office, and you kind of forget about people who are working remotely or who are spending, you know, working hybrid schedules of one day a week if you spend all your time in the office. So that is definitely a danger. That's a tendency that is a serious problem. And I see when I look at surveys inside insurance companies of top concerns among leaders, you see a lot of leaders and a lot of their subordinates express a concern about, well, what about proximity bias if I have team members working remotely? They will be overlooked when assigning important projects, when being promoted, considered for raises, maybe even being fired, you know, laid off, right? So this is definitely an issue that needs to be addressed if you're going to have a successful schedule for hybrid remote teams. And this is what Nationwide and other insurance companies that have succeeded have been working on and have done very effectively. So what you need to do is make sure that you have FaceTime with the manager, virtual or in-person every week for each member of their team. And what you do at that weekly meeting check-in is you have a progress update, a performance update. So instead of doing that one major, huge annual performance evaluation, you essentially distribute it over 52 weeks. So each week you have a small minor performance evaluation where before that you set, let's say you're the team member and you're working with a team leader. The team member would set three goals, three to five goals that they want to accomplish for that week, which would be approved by the team leader or revised if needed. And then before each meeting, the team member would send a report with how they did in the goals for the week, what kind of problems they experienced, how they solved those problems, and a self-evaluation for their performance that week. That's going to be less than a page. Then the team leader would write back with kind of brief comments on their performance report. And then in the meeting, you would go over the performance report. The team leader would coach the team member on solving problems better if there's any coaching needed. They would approve or revise the performance evaluation, which would be fed into a continuous promotion and evaluation system. And they would agree on the next week's three to five goals. Now, this is a very useful technique in many ways. And of course, then the team leader would just also have a conversation, check on how that person's doing and their well-being and so on. This is a very useful technique for helping ensure that that proximity bias is addressed because it helps each team member know where they are exactly at all times, right? They have a performance evaluation. They have a track record of performance evaluations. They know that that's what's going to be used for promotion, for assigning important projects. They know where they are, so they can feel much more confident and not have to worry about, oh, is my supervisor not paying attention to me because I'm not there all the time chatting him up or her up. So this is something that's really valuable. Another thing that's valuable about is that it greatly improves retention. So we have studies showing very clearly that this sort of performance evaluation weekly meeting, so weekly one-on-one with performance components, improves the relationship between the supervisor and the supervisee And that improved relationship is something that is the most important component for retention of employees. So that's retention. And the third thing it does is it improves connection to company culture. So when we know that 
the most important thing for a connection to company culture for rank and file employees is the connection through their supervisor, through their boss, to the company culture. So those are very, very valuable things of this weekly performance evaluation. And that is a very useful technique for addressing proximity bias. And I talk about that in more depth in my book, Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams. I could not agree with you more. There, and I've said this throughout my career, your performance review should never have any surprises. And if you're meeting on a regular basis, even if it's every other week instead of every week, you know, if you don't have that much to talk about, mm-hmm. you still are addressing those things along the way. Now, there's a fine line, in my mind anyway, between micromanagement and the normal touch base session mm-hmm. where you're just checking on the employee or your team member to make sure everything is good, check the status of different things that are happening you can do that without getting into the area of micromanagement. Sure. So that is very useful. Yeah. And the important thing is that it's the team member who identifies any problems that they had and how they solve them. So they're the ones who are choosing to bring up problems, right? So you're not micromanaging them. You're not getting into their business if they don't want you to get into their business. Exactly. Okay. Once again, uh, the book is Leading Hybrid and Remote Teams, a manual on benchmarking to best practices for competitive advantage. That's available Where can they get that, Dr. Glenn? Amazon elsewhere. Amazon is probably going to be the easiest. Great. And I always appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you, Ryan. Folks, that's all the time that we have for today's podcast. But Dr. Glenn, could you give our listeners your contact information uh, if they wanted to reach out to you? Of course. So folks should go to my website called disasteravoidanceexperts.com. It's the website for my future work consultancy where I help insurance companies make sure to transition effectively to hybrid and remote work and just in general future work. So again, that's disasteravoidanceexperts.com. And if you want to learn more about the book, go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash hybrid. Disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash hybrid. And if you have any suggestions, show suggestions, you want to be on the show, you can always uh, contact me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Join me for our next episode when, for the first time, I sit down with a meteorologist. Andrew Siffert will give us a review of the 2022 Catastrophe Bingo Card. You won't want to miss it. Until then, I'm Tim Hicks with today's guest, Dr. Gleb Sapersky. Thank you again for inviting me on, Tim. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode. Let your colleagues know. Let your friends know about the show. We want the entire insurance industry following along. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.